Blog Talk Radio. Donald Trump's odds shorten again, and this was July 20th. 
the most unconventional and unlikely presidential candidate in U.S. history just hit his highest rating yet in the race for a White House. In finally securing the Republican nomination, Donald Trump killed the hopes of numerous detectives and ended one of the most exciting and dramatic races in the history of political betting. In response, Betfair punches back the reality TV star into his shortened odds yet to win in November. Though still the outsider, Trump has been back down to 3.0, an equivalent to a 33% chance before falling back slightly to a 30% chance. Hillary Clinton, favorite for this market ever since it opened in 2012, remains strong at 69%. In keeping with the rest of his short political career, even Trump's coronation as GOP candidate was far from straightforward, right to the last. So that's interesting. Yeah, hopefully he'll be on with us tonight if he can get through to us. And, um, and uh, we will be talking to him uh, in about a few minutes. So. And he makes a comment on the labor heavyweights in England. When labor last had a leadership contest, successfully predicted by Jerry Corbin for various reasons, one particular stood out. The three establishment candidates were terrible. God, it sounds like our election. In this week, leading up to the Corbin surprise entry, online campaigns were launched to find a better candidate. Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer, for example, neither took the bait, and Corbin filled the vacuum. Corbin only got on the ballot paper after a Twitter storm from members and supporters. See, we don't really know much about British elections. But anyway, as it turned out, let's see, what does he say here? This is quite a long article. I'll just read a little more of it. Okay. So that was one of his beginning ones. Corbin only got on the ballot paper after Twitter storm from members and supporters. Sounds like Donald Trump. He's into Twitter, demanding a wide range of a wider range of views at a time when the party was locked in introspection following the disastrous general election. In lending him some nominations, mainstream MPs terribly misjudged the mood of the grassroots. Immediately a challenge on core labor values presented itself with George Osborne timing his welfare cuts bill to the maximum divisive effect. When the three mainstream candidates abstained, it seemed to legitimize a frequent charge that MPs had lost touch with basic labor aims and values and were more concerned with positioning than principle. From that moment on, Corbin was dominant. One might think Corbin's numerous opponents would have learned something, but on the basis of this leadership contest, that isn't the case. With all due respect to Owen Smith and Angela Eagle, who on earth decided they were the best alternative? As explained recently, there is a potential for the Raber rebels to beat Corbin, given the changed circumstances and narrative from last summer. Right now, I suspect the labor electorate is more or less split 50-50, so there's plenty, of, plenty to play for. Hustings, TV interviews, and debates will be pivotal in determining the narrative and therefore the results. Sounds like us. TV is the one that determines everything. However, it looks like the labor MPs are making all the same mistakes. It appears that they are going to overwhelmingly nominate Smith, despite him being unscrutinized and never mentioned by anyone as a future leader until a few days ago. As with Corbin's 2015 rivals, issues could be his undoing. Though Smith is defining himself as a left-winger who loyally served under Corbin, his profile tells a different story. The number you have dialed has not been recognized. Please try again. Leo is oh, trying to uh, start, okay. yes. So what's happening there? I don't know. It came up as a call, but I just dropped. See, I can't dial that number. And 
Well, we'll see he's if he... Trying, he's supposed to be calling in, but I, I don't know if he can get us either. Um, it's, it's odd, you know, uh, it's very difficult to do this through a, a, a network like this. Uh, it's, it's easier when you do it through a phone connection, but I can, you can't do it through a phone connection. You have to do it through a computer connection, um, which is hooked up to a phone connection, which is kind of silly, but um, it's a problem. So anyway. Um, oh, he even talked about who the names were on Trump's. VP shortlist. Yeah, who did he choose on Let's that Let's see, one? let me read this. It's a little late now, but I mean, it's like, you know, it's already chosen. With confirmation that Hillary Clinton will not be indicted, and with a few days until the long-winded plans to strip Donald Trump from the Republican nomination are almost certainly defeated, the big story involves his VP picks. Trump said there were around 10 names under consideration. Under consideration. Allowing for the caveat that he may not be telling the truth, the master of self-publicity has demonstrated a unique ability to get the media discussing him on a loop. Ten does sound plausible. That's ten loops. Many have ruled themselves out, including his main rivals from the primary. Uh, Senators Joni Ernst and Bob Corker also. Working on the dubious assumption that neither Ernst or Corker were on the final short list, let's try and name the ten in contention. Oh, that's kind of, we don't, uh, I mean, it's all, that's all oh, news, but what, who does he predict when he... Well, you'd have to be a member of this thing. As Mike Pence shortened up this week, I announced a partial cash-out of our 33-to-1 position on the Indiana governor. So he... That's 33? He thought... 33 to 1? Yeah, he thought... That Pence was going to Yeah, so that's pretty good. Yeah, so he's great. I can't wait to... I wish I could learn what he was going to do with Trump, but... Yeah, Trump Hillary. We're still waiting for him. I told him if I couldn't reach him at 8.05, but now it looks like he
side. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean that, Mr. Union over there. I, uh, you know, I know you're all Hillary people, but uh, it's still disturbing. So, yep. uh, but anyway. Uh, due to the Trump's unfavorabilities are simply too bad to turn around, especially with key voter groups like women and Latinos. That's what's going to hurt him. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe it wasn't And he says, Clinton is also a weak and an un unpopular candidate. Nobody mm -hmm. likes her either. But it says here that uh, WikiLeaks just released 23,000 new e Hillary emails uh, that were all classified, marked classified, that she deleted. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah I know you mentioned that yeah, earlier. It's crazy. Uh, crazy, crazy, crazy. And what does it say about it? Anything? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it does. Um, I wonder if it says anything about the, the fact that she was—they were playing hanky panky with the Clinton Foundation. Not on. Well, there, there's a lot. There, there's so much. Um, this one. This is not overly clear. These are—they have a couple of sample ones, uh, emails that they that they left out. They put in. But you see, on each one, they're classified as. See that C? Yep. These. Are, this means that they're classified. Right. Here's one that says by. Uh, it even says uh, the guy who sent it was Rolf Olson, acting political counselor for DOS, POL, Reason, and it's, uh, you know, and it's D, it's a C here, you know. And uh, uh, it's confidential. These were all confidential emails. Irish ambassador Phyllis privately in February. Uh, well, Belarus was a... Belarus yeah. has not, let's just see. Here's an example of one. The Irish ambassador told us privately on February 25th that while Belarus has not made much progress on human rights, it is in a bubble. These were in 2010 as well. Yeah. And she had 23,000 likes similar to this that she was able to... Uh, yeah, here's one from the, the Secretariat in Russian delegation praise, Coes programs for Chechnya. Several delegations observed that the progress are largely educational and awareness raising and are held inside the Chechen Republic. The UK ambassador called for more concrete programs. This is so these are all, you know, this was, I don't know what this one had a U in front of this one had a C which was a um, unclassified. Yeah, unclassified, okay. But let's see. Yeah. Doesn't matter. This is uh, just just to know that it's out there now, okay, and it's public, and you're gonna hear a lot more from it tomorrow. Let's just check back. Yeah, let's see if our friend is on here. This material. No. 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 I don't That's think he's gonna good. make it. I'm sorry, folks. I, I mean, we were so looking forward to talking. I was. To I you yeah, I was. I, just not gonna happen. No. But anyway, uh, here's a uh, here was a uh, something that Ralph Nader said. <laughs> The only yeah. difference between the Republican and Democratic parties is the velocities with which their knees hit the floor when corporations knock on their door. That's the only difference. That's <laughs> proved to be true. Oh, and he's, and yeah. he always right. Okay. And uh, let's see. Um, oh, what about the article that was sent to you on... Um, Oh, I can't remember the one that you told me about. Never mind. Okay, well, all right. Um, anyway, here's a, this is, was really disturbing when I saw this. Beware of these nine p popular chocolate uh, brands that exploit child slaves. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Here's a handy guide. Okay, this is to uh, what companies to avoid that use child, child labor to a slave, actually, to uh, to produce their their uh, coca, coca, right? Uh, okay. Americans spend over a billion dollars every Halloween on chocolate, accounting for 10% of most chocolate companies' annual revenue. And the average American citizen eats over 11 pounds of chocolate a year. So this Halloween, use your money to let them know that child slavery will not be tolerated by American consumers. Last September, a lawsuit was filed against eight companies, including Hershey's, Mars, and Nestle, alleging that the companies were duping consumers into unwittingly, unwittingly funding the child slave labor trade in West Africa, home to two-thirds of the world's cacao beans. 
Oh, my God. Workers' ages range from 11 to 16, sometimes younger. They are trapped in isolated farms where they work 80 to 100 hours a week. The film Slavery, a Global Investigation, spoke with three children who reported that they were often beaten with fists and belts and whips. The beatings were part of my life, said Ali Diabate, a freed slave, told reporters. Anytime they loaded you with bags of cocoa beans and you fell while carrying them, nobody helped you. Instead, they beat you and beat you until you picked it up again. To help you avoid supporting slavery this Halloween, here are seven chocolate companies that benefit from child slave labor. Hershey's, Mars, Nestle, ADM Cocoa, Godiva, Fileless Chocolate, and Kraft. Wow. I guess I'm not going to eat any of those. Yeah, let's That's repeat terrible. them. terrible. Hershey, Mars, Bars, Mars, Nestle, um, ADM Cocoa, uh, Godiva Chocolates, and Fowler Chocolate, and Kraft Chocolates. Yeah. Legislation nearly passed in 2001 in which the FDA would implement slave-free labeling on the packaging. Before the legislation made it to a vote, the chocolate industry, including Nestle's, Hershey, and Mars, used its corporate money to stop it by promising to self-regulate and end child slavery in their business by 2005. This deadline has been repeatedly pushed back with the current goal now at 2020. Oh, what a joke. Oh, my God. Oh, how do those people in that Congress sleep at night? Uh, FDA. Or the, the FDA. FDA. You know, Food and Drug Administration. Uh, Meanwhile, the number of children working in the cocoa industry has increased by 51% oh from 2009 to 2014. As one freed boy put it, they enjoy something I suffered to yeah. make. I worked hard for them but saw no benefit. They are eating my flesh. Here are a list of more socially conscious companies who have made a point to avoid the profiting of the suffering of child labor. Cliff Bar, Greens and Black, Cooper's Chocolate, L.A. Burdock Chocolate, Denman Island Chocolate, I've never heard of any of these Gardner's but. Chocolate, Montezuma's Chocolate, of course, Newman's Own Organic, yeah, Kahlua Candy Company, Omanahaney Cocoa Bean Company, Rapunzel Pure Organic, the Endangered Species Chocolate Company, and Cloud9. Okay. So, anyway, this is... The uh, only one I yeah. really recognized was uh, Newman's... Own Organics, which is which is, is not a slave labor um, chocolate company. Right? Maybe these others are local... I don't know. Cliff Bar, I've never heard of. Green and Blacks, I've never heard of. Coppers. These are all good, the good companies, you know, to, to, yeah. to, that have refused to use slave labor. To, to, an endangered species chocolate company. I've never, never heard, heard of that. that. No. But anyway, but everybody's heard of the big ones. Mm-hmm. Again, we're going to repeat this just so you, 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 you throw out this stuff and never buy it again. Hershey's Chocolate, Mars Chocolate. Nestle's Chocolate, ADM Cocoa, Godiva Chocolates, and Fowler Chocolates. If you buy any of these, Kraft, anything made with Kraft uh, Chocolate, if you buy any of these, you are supporting slave, child slave labor. All right? Child slave labor. And um, please listen to that. Um, anyway, we'll go on. Here's another problem. I, you know, I, I honestly, uh, this, this is so bad. While we obsess over millennia, uh, who is, you know, plagiarizing bullshit, okay, well, U.S. Yeah. airstrikes massacre scores of civilians in Syria. Yeah, that was this week. As many as 77 innocent people or more were killed during U.S.-led coalition airstrikes performing, performed in Syria over this Monday and Tuesday. So, huh? what, what, so what's about this? He's going in, he's killing all the Syrian people, and those he hasn't killed, he's inviting to live over here for, for free, you know? Come on, I'm sorry I killed you. Gee, I'm sorry I killed your parents. I'm sorry I destroyed your country. But uh, 
Yeah, I'm going to give you a free passage over to the United States of America, folks. Thank <laughs> you. As many as 77 innocent people or more, including 11 children, were killed during U.S.-led coalition strikes performed by Syria over this Monday and Tuesday. According to the Agents France Press, uh, the U.S.-led airstrike in Nanbij, 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 Syria, uh, targeted the group of civilians, uh, mistakenly identifying them as ISIS <coughs> affiliate fighters. Whoops. The number of those killed remain unclear, although AFP and the New York Times reported that 56 civilians were killed Monday and another 21 Tuesday. Dozens more have been wounded. Another reports other reports vary, however, an estimate higher numbers that uh, schoolhouse that schoolhouse displaced people from neighboring villages. Oh, <laughs> that the schoolhouse displaced people from neighboring villages. Right. Uh, Abu Amar Manjibi uh, reported to Syria. Direct uh, a non-profit... Reporting agency that works Syria. on the ground in Syria. So far we count 124 dead from the attack, and that number could very well increase. The UK-based Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, which tracks civilian deaths in the area, reported that 104 civilians, including 29 children, 16 women, and 8 prisoners, have been killed in the area since the start of June, and they confirmed at least 11 children died in these strikes. They got these poor people out dead in gutters and what do you say? But you know, this is the thing that's happening. Uh City is one of the most barren regions of Syria, with the UN Commission on Human Rights estimating approximately seventy thousand civilians have been stranded in Manbij, uh, as fighting between ISIS fighters and the Western funded rebels intensifies. In a uh, public statement Human rights groups, Amnesty International, condemns the airstrikes as the largest loss of civilian life by coalition's operation in Syria. And, you know, this, this is just madness, madness, madness. Mm -hmm. You know, brought to you by uh, the most insane... I thought Bush... I think Bush is still the most insane bastard that ever served as a president, all right? But Obama is right up there. Well, These drone strikes are, are, are absolutely... How, how about his peace prize? Oh, his peace prize, yeah. Nobel no peace prize, and, his, and the guy's a butcher. He's in a war. He's a butcher war now, and now he's, he's causing yeah, now he's causing race race tensions around the country. It's just like God Almighty, get this guy the hell out of there, you know? Just to just just get him out. Oh yeah, put Hillary in. Nah, no, God awful, no thanks. Um, war the same except war. Oh God, Jesus. Oh God, what do we got? Well, we proved that a black man could be just as horrible as George Bush. And is corrupt. And is corrupt. Yeah. Now we can, now we have now, Hillary now Clinton, we can, we can prove that a white woman can be just as bad. Yeah, that, and, then what, and then what they'll put in is a Jewish guy. Okay, then they'll put in, or a girl, Jewel Stein. We can prove that Jewel Stein will be as corrupt as, as anybody, you know? So it's like, come on, who the hell are we kidding here? You know? So, yeah. So good for uh, you guys. You, you know, Obama proved he could be uh, just as corrupt as Bush. Here we go. James Carvel says 80% of Democrats are politically clueless. <laughs> well, he refined that instead of saying that they're stupid. You gave it 80%. 20%, I guess, have a clue. James Carvel, Democrat political consultant extraordinaire, yeah, and former Bill Clinton campaign manager has astonishingly come, astonishingly come out and said what all good Republicans have known for get decades. Not only are most Democrats politically clueless, they're easily manipulated by the puppet masters of their party as well. Wow, James freaking Carvel of all people. Here's an excerpt as quoted on Amazon.com. Ideologies aren't all that important. 
what's important is psychology. That's what he said, yeah. The Democratic constituency is just like a herd of cows. All you have to do is lay out enough silage and they come running. Sorry, that's one took up. Let's get back to James Carvel, it's please. Coming, it's coming, it's coming. Sorry. Sorry, folks. Okay, let's click that guy off. And we can get him back. Obina, what do you think about him? No, you're clicking too much there. There we go. Okay. Okay, all you have to do is lay out enough silage. These websites get. And they come running. That's why I became an operative working with the Democrats. With Democrats, all you have to do is make a lot of noise, lay out the hay, and be ready to use the old cattle prod in case just a few want to bolt the herd. Eighty percent of the people who call themselves Democrats don't have a clue as to political reality. What amazes me is that you could take a group of people who are hard workers and convince them that they should support social programs that were the exact opposite of their own personal conviction. Put a little fear here, and then you can get people to vote any way you want. Well, there were a few communists who said the same thing. The The voter is is basically dumb and lazy. The reason I became a Democratic operative instead of a Republican one was because they were more Democrats that didn't have a clue than they were Republicans. Truth is relative. Truth is what you make the voters believe is the truth. If you're smart enough, truth is what you make the voter think it is. That's why I'm a Democrat. I can make Democratic voters think whoever, whatever I want them to. There you go. Oh, you egotistical. I know. And that was from the Daily Clash, but, uh, but you heard that him say I that. Heard this, I heard him say that in an interview, and I uh, well, not not so arrogantly, but that they, they were the dumbest bunch of people he ever he ever knew, and that's why he he wanted to do it because it'd be easy to push. I thought this was really interesting. Um, I know it's not huge news on this one, but it was very interesting that they put on. But this was a special tax stamp, okay, okay. okay in 1976 for Cassius M. Clay and Curtis Franken, okay, Paris, Kentucky, yeah. for producers of marijuana, okay, this was an actual, you could produce it, or you could you could grow it in 1976, and, uh, no, not oh, no, I'm sorry, no, no, 1943, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, yeah, that's right, tax stamp expires June 30th, 1943, okay, so that was not transferable, but it gave them the right to grow pot, yeah, okay, and, uh, and Cassius Clay, who's Muhammad Ali. Uh, Worldview of millennial humans have cultivated a healthy, progressive relationship with the cannabis plant. From our species, innate desire to explore, make sense of the utilize our surroundings and ancient ancestors discovered. So, uh, I don't know whether that's actually Muhammad Ali. Cassius Clay. Well, I know, but they could have been his father or something. Well, Cassius Clay. Or the Cassius Clay. We don't know. Probably just like this. God, Lila, this is the whole thing here. This is what we're doing. This is something. It was for one dollar they could get a special tax stamp from, from that, Kentucky isn't that great? in 1943 to grow pot. Okay, to grow that. That's what this is. And Cassius Clay and Curtis Franklin route to Paris, Kentucky, which is where his home was. Right? Is is the is the guy? See what? Okay, let's go to the that's article. What that's all I'm saying. Well, I don't know. And here's a picture of Obama as a kid who was, uh, who was, uh, a, uh, was a, a terrorist-looking guy there with a gun on his hand. All right. This is so much fun. Yeah, our, our friend couldn't get all of us tonight. I'm sorry about that. So, anyway, a brief history of marijuana prohibition in the 1940s, I guess, Worldview. For millennia, humans have cultivated a healthy, progressive relationship with the cannabis plant. From our species, innate desire to ex- to explore, make sense, and utilize our uh, surroundings, 
our ancestors, ancient ancestors discovered the use of marijuana. The oldest documented evidence of human cannabis use was um, is a hemp rope found in Czechoslovakia in uh, 26,900 B.C. Oh, my God, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, amazing. Cannabis is one of the mankind's earliest cultivated crops dating back to 12,000 years. And for all but the last 100 or so, the relationship has been relatively open and uncomplicated. And during the last century, however, the discussion surrounding cannabis has generated heated debate, resulting in propaganda and incarcerations of more than its fair share of attributed claims, including positive, negative, and dubious. But this goes back, this is a long article, but it goes back 26,900 years. Amazing. Yeah. Just amazing. I was trying to, before before we spoke, I, I was trying to... to Sorry about Helen Thomas. Yeah, Helen Thomas, for those who remember uh, or know at all, she's, she died at 92, but she was a very, very famous uh, White House correspondent, right, and um, uh, who got in trouble because she... Uh, at like 85. Yeah, at about 85. Well, no, probably about 80, because that's when they kicked her out. But... Uh, let, me, let me just say, Helen Thomas's keen curiosity, unquenchably, unquenchable drive, and celebrated constancy made her a trailblazing White House correspondent in a press corps dominated by men, and who was later regarded as the dean of the White House briefing room, died on Saturday at her home in Washington. She was 92. Her death was announced by the uh, Gridian Club, one of uh, Washington's leading news societies. Mrs. Thompson. Thomas was a past president of the organization. You know, you know, it's really interesting. Not she died on Saturday. Yeah. There was not one mention on Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday of her death on the mainstream news. We watched it, and uh, and because the reason is is because during her last days, she was totally dead set against the Zionist occupation of of Israel. She wanted to and, free Palestine. Uh, Palestine, right? And. Uh, and, and she spoke up about it. She spoke up. And, she, and when she spoke up, they threw her out. Yeah, and they, she started to ask them about the about this happening. They, uh, you know, but uh, she, they got angry at her and, and wouldn't uh, let her be a Washington club again. Because she spoke about the nasty little, uh, you know, problem in uh, in Israel there. Yeah. But uh, her death was announced by the Gridiron Club. I mean, Think somebody else would announce it. She covered every president from John F. Kennedy to Barack Obama for United Press International and later Hearst newspapers. To her colleagues, she was the unofficial but undisputed head of the press corps. Her status ratified by her signature line at the end of every White House news conference, thank you, Mr. President. Her blunt questions and sharp tone made her a familiar personality, not only in the parochial world inside the Washington Beltway, but also to TV audiences across the country. Helen was a true pioneer, opening doors and breaking down barriers for generations of women in journalism. President Obama said in a statement on Saturday, she never failed to keep presidents, myself included, on their toes. President Scruton respect even to like Miss Thomas for her forthrightness and stamina, which sustained her well after the age at which most people had settled into retirement. President Bill Clinton gave her a cake on August 4, 1997, her 77th birthday. Twelve years later, President Obama gave her cupcakes for her 89th. At his first news conference in February 2009, Mr. Obama called on her saying, Helen, I'm excited. This is my inaugural moment. But 16 months later, Ms. Thomas abruptly announced her retirement from Hearst amid an uproar over her assertion that Jews should get the hell out of Palestine and go back where they belong, perhaps Germany or Poland. Her remark made almost offhandedly days earlier at a White House event set off a storm when a videotape was posted. In her retirement announcement, Ms. Thomas, whose parents immigrated to the U.S. from what is now Lebanon, said that she deeply regretted her remark and that that did not reflect her heartfelt belief 
that peace would come to the Middle East only when all parties embrace mutual respect and tolerance. And that day comes soon, she said. But this Stalinist career uh, bridged two eras, beginning during uh, World War II, when uh, people got their news mostly from radio, newspapers, and movie reels, and extending into the era of 24-hour coverage on cable television and internet. She resigned from UPI uh, on May 6, 2000, a day after it was taken over by an organization that links to the Unification Church. Um, after uh, weeks later, Thomas was hired by Hearst to write a twice-weekly column. And uh, hang on a second, I just want to go back. Oops, I want to see. Yeah, no, he didn't, he didn't make it. So, uh, but anyway, uh, she worked her way into full-time reporting, and by the mid-50s was covering federal agencies. She covered John F. Kennedy's presidential campaign in 1960, and when he won, she became the first woman assigned to the White House full-time by a new service. Isn't that interesting for her? Ms. Thomas was also, oops, I'm sorry. Ms. Thomas was also the first woman to be elected an officer of the White House Correspondents Association and the first to serve as its president. In 1975, she became the first woman elected to the Gridiron Club, which for uh, 90 years had been uh, men's only bachelor yeah, yeah. Washington journalists. And Mrs. Uh, Ms. Thomas was known for her dawn-to-dark work hours, and she won her share of exclusives and near-exclusives. She was the only female print journalist to accompany Mr. Richard M. Nixon, President Nixon, on his breakthrough trip to China. No kidding, I didn't know that. Hmm. Uh, I, knew that. I probably did, because we were... I mean, we were... I wasn't we were, really aware, though, probably 72, at the time. Yeah, you know, we were, I didn't really think... Probably anything of it, uh, well, we, unless we, it was featured. We may have, but that was 40 years ago, last yeah. year, or 45 years ago. I mean, you don't have that immediately in your memory? No, I don't. But here's a picture. Ellen was a better reporter than she was a writer, but in her prime, um, had more than her share of scoops and the rest of us would try to match. Uh, Long-time CBS reporter, but anyway, it's a long, 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 long eulogy, but... I, I suggest you look up her name, Helen Thomas, and uh, you know she's a, she was a remarkable, remarkable woman. I remember her very, very well. For, you know, at those cup press very, conferences. Yeah, she was very, very stand up, very brave. She, you know. She asked tough questions. Yes, she did. Yes, she did, and uh, she was known for that. But anyway. Uh, let's, uh, let's see what we got here. Oh, here's something. Uh, I should. We should probably talk some more about things, but uh, I was very surprised. Um, there was a study on alcohol. I'm just curious. Yeah, it's up here where alcohol and marijuana. So, uh, uh, alcohol fuels aggression while marijuana reduces it. That's correct. Yeah. That's well, that's probably true. So why is marijuana illegal again? Well, tapping the keg of America's never-ending violence. Intoxicated aggression spikes precipitously among drinkers, while marijuana snuffs out those same aggressive tendencies. Interesting. New study shows that. Hmm. And hey, folks, you think you you think the 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 elections were rigged in California? Well, over almost one million Bernie Sanders ballots were illegally shredded. How do you think of that, folks? Oh, Hillary won California. Gee, I, I oh. But Bernie, Bernie's, uh, what got, got, got all uh, burned up. He yeah. shredded. I guess he didn't care. Yeah. I, I, Bernie, is, to me, is a traitor. He, to, to do what he did, it just, you know, it's, it's like the ultimate yeah. Crap. The man made 220 million bucks, right? They spent, according to what we saw, about 120 million during the campaign. Yeah. So, according to the according to the uh, existing uh, finance laws, all that a candidate makes, okay, he can create, he can keep after he, you know, if he doesn't win or if he resigns or if he pulls out of the race, which. In this case, he did. 
he, I think he was afraid that he was going to have to spend all his damn money, and and uh, you know, and uh, he wouldn't get that much, even if he won. Maybe. You know what I mean? You know, it was, uh, you know. I'm not sure exactly what the rule is. Once you declare, you, yeah, but once you declare, you have to account for the money. That's right. All. Prior to declaration, you don't. But before, you do. Or after you do, then then you go through the process. But it doesn't go, I mean, you you, stu- you don't lose that money, all right? You spend it, but you, you know, but whatever's left. You have to pay taxes on it. You, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever the deal is there, but who cares? He still made out like a bandit. And I'm sure his wife was on the payroll. She was writing speeches. Of course she was. She stuff. was the guy. She was in charge of the whole campaign. And uh, whoever else was you know, dealing with. I mean, we learned this through uh, through the uh, in 2004 under Dean. Uh huh. You know, Dean made ninety thousand bucks up no, until yeah. Ohio. All right. Not Ohio. Ninety. Iowa. Not ninety thousand. I'm sorry. Ninety million. And then he spent. As we know, forty million was all that he spent for the campaign, and he paid off Trippy, who was his campaign manager, ten million dollars, right, to run it. Up until New Hampshire, Trippy made ten million Can you bucks. Imagine? Right? Haven't heard that name since. Yeah, he was he was doing uh, some other thing with a political guy there. Um, but uh, anyway, the the that he, uh, Dean walked away with fifty mil. Okay. And he walked away with the, uh, and he became the uh, uh, Democratic National Committee chairman. Okay. A lot of power. So, uh, I mean, he got, he did very well, made a lot of money and became uh, the head of the DNC. Of course, nobody respected the man afterwards. The guy couldn't, uh, you know, the guy guy was was considered a, a useless piece of work by any progressive or any liberal Democrat, I mean. Any established Democrat was probably applauding him for, uh, you know, getting so Kerry what did, elected. What you know, did he but care? it was like, God almighty. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean it, it's, it was rigged then, it's rigged now. Bernie's yep. been rigged. Hillary's more than rigged. Everybody, the only guy who's not rigged is Donald Trump. I mean, he, he, you know, he just, he just did it. You know, he, he just made so it. So what did uh, Trump release on Obama? Oh, I don't know. One viral. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Remember the word bubble? You heard it here first. We could be in a big fat bubble, and if that bubble crashes, it's a problem. The word bubble. Remember the word bubble? You heard it here first. I mean, I don't want to sound rude, but I hope if it explodes, it's going to be now rather than two months into another administration. Because honestly, you got yourself problems. The word bubble. Remember the word bubble? Right. That's the more of a sponsored ad, but it wasn't really that. But he did say that. Uh, we're, we're, in a, we're in a recessionary cycle here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Boom yeah. and bust. Boom and bust. We've been through a lot of those. But anyway, um, let's go back to... Oh, okay. Um... <laughs> This is cute. Guy sent this to me today. He's got a, he's got a picture of Michelle Obama and uh, and Melania Trump, and it says, "Why all the outrage now?" And then he's got a picture of Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, and it says, "When Hillary has been doing it for months, okay, yeah, Hillary has been stealing, stealing Bernie's speeches for months." Yeah. You know, so I mean, why isn't anybody saying anything? Oh, it's Bernie, and it's uh, you know, this is yeah. Well. Obama's complaining that Fox News makes him look like a loser. No, it's not hard to do. So, anyway. Uh, oh, yeah. Big news, folks. Big news. Maybe you heard about it. Maybe you didn't. But here are losers now. Why would Hillary want want their endorsement? I have no idea. Uh, the, Bush, the Bush family decided to throw uh, their endorsement behind Hillary Clinton. What a surprise. Yeah. And says, can anyone take these idiots seriously? If I were Trump, I would thank them. This is a seriously screwed up gene pool. Well, people don't realize it, but Bill Clinton was George Bush's... uh, Adopted son. uh, That's what he used to call him. Call him, and he was a chauffeur when he was in uh, Georgetown Uh, Law. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. It's so sad. But, let's see, 
article came up. So. I know, but what what I hate most is this damn. I hate. I don't you hate these paginated, uh, miserable ads that come up on every every damn page you pull up, and then they cut you out, and they. I, I can't stand these. It's, it's, it's the way they're advertising. These now things. you're seeing the real Bush fund family and what a bunch of scheming liars they really are. They will not support the GOP nominee, Donald Trump, because he's not part of the New World Order Elites Club. So by withholding support for Trump in November, they are in fact helping to elect Hillary Clinton. In any race that has only two candidates... You can't get there, you Refusing to support one of them is a de facto endorsement for the other, and this is exactly how the Bush family is planning on working to elect Hillary Clinton as president. Jeb Bush, when he ran against Donald Trump for the nomination, took a pledge that he would support whoever would be of the 17 people running who finally became the nominee. When the dust settled, Donald Trump emerged victorious. Jeb Bush has now decided to break his promises to support the nominee. His brother and father have also decided for the first time in their political lives to withhold their vote in support of the Republican nominee. For the first time since his own presidency. George H. Bush is planning to stay silent in the race for the Oval Office. And the younger former President Bush plans to stay silent as well. Bush 41 who uh, enthusiastically endorsed every Republican nominee for the last five election cycles, will stay out of the campaign process this time. He does not have plans to endorse presumptive GOP nominee Donald Trump, spokesman Jim McGrath told the Texas Tribune. So, geez, can you imagine? At age 91, President Bush is retired from politics. Uh, he came out of retirement to do a few things for Jeb, but those were the exceptions that proved the rule. Uh, his son, Jeb Bush, dropped out of the GOP race in February. And Jeb says, I won't vote for Donald Trump. Hmm. I, it's a long story, but <laughs> that's kind of funny. Uh, okay. So anyway, there you have it. We don't really care, but, you know. Hmm. This made me sick today. Obama signs a Monsanto Protection Act, written by Monsanto's sponsored senator. Okay. Very, oh. very, very sick with what, what he's doing. Oh. Very, very sick. Um, he's a sick man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, his wife kind of goes around saying that kids ought to eat nutritious food. Organic food, and he's signing away, the, he's signing a, a, a bill for Monsanto uh, to be uh, above the law, you can't. They can't be sued. United States President Barack Obama, man, has signed a bill to law into law that will, is written in part by a very billion-dollar corporation uh, that will benefit directly from the legislation. On Tuesday, President Obama inked his name to HR 933, a continuing resolution spending bill approved in Congress days earlier. Buried 78 pages within the bill exists a provision that grossly protects biotech corporations such as the Missouri-based Monsanto company from litigation. With the president's signature, agriculture giants that deal with genetically modified organisms, or GMOs, and genetically engineered seeds are given the go-ahead to continue to plant and sell man-made crops, even as questions remain largely unanswered about the health risks these types of products posed to consumers. In light of approval from the House and Senate, more than 250,000 people signed a petition against the pre for asking the president to veto this uh, pending bill over the biotech right attack, an item that has since been widely referred to as the Monsanto Protection Act. But, but uh, yeah, he ignored the petition, IB Times, Connor Sheets writes, and said, choosing Where are you? Where are you reading that? Oh, I see. Yeah. Instead, choosing to sign a bill that effectively bars federal courts from being able to halt the sale or planting of GMO or GE crops and seeds, no matter what health consequences from the consumption of these products may come to light in the future. 
But one of the big things that, that's, that's really happening is, sick. you know, this country, we've lost half, half is reported, that we've lost half the bee population. That's because of these... Uh, these freaking GMOs and is glyphosate. And uh, what's in Roundup and, uh, and a lot of these, a lot, killing of, a lot of Monsanto's uh, stuff. It's killing us, too. It's killing us, too. I mean, do you realize that corn is actually listed as a pesticide now? Yeah, I believe it. GMO corn is a pesticide. All right. And, and of course, they, they don't label anything, so you don't no, know what they were No, and they won't allow you to label the damn stuff. You know, it's like 250,000 uh, names in a petition rejecting this thing by the American people, and he just signs it like, I don't give a shit, I'm only in for three more months. Screw you, guys. Yeah. You know, screw you. Okay, Monsanto, build a seawall at my house in Hawaii. Senator Blunt received $64,250 from Monsanto to go toward his campaign committee between 2008 and 2012. The money, uh, Monaco website adds that Blunt has been the largest Republican Party recipient of Monsanto funding as of late. On the lawmaker's official website, a statement explains a little more uh, as to why he favored the writer. Okay. As the ranking member of the Appropriations Subcommittee on Agriculture, Rural Development, Food and Drug Administration, and related, that, that, do you think there's too much power this guy has? Uh-huh. All right. And the bastard only sold out for $64,000 over a four-year period. What kind of a prick is this guy? He would sell out the entire country for 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 sixty four lousy thousand bucks to keep his miserable job. All right, Senator Blunt. All right, that's the guy. He's an idiot. Senator Blunt, and he's only a junior senator. Well, he's been in office since the nineties. Uh, junior senator, and he's in, in, from the nineties. Yeah, well, there's somebody there that's been in there longer from his state. That's what that means. That's, uh, it was just sick. It's really sick. So, if you want to, if you want to look where at, you know, God, I hate this. I hate these two. I mean, everywhere you go, all you got is these god miserable ads. One million ads per page, to just to try to get up to a lousy article or onto a blog. Uh, I just, I, it's just sick. Trying to, uh, trying to navigate. Sick. Here's something. We, we the people, need yeah. to strip the pensions away from Congress. As long as they can get a lifelong pension of 110000 to 174000 a year, they don't care if they get fired. Time to set term limits of two in only a six-month pension of 25% of their present pay level at removal. Then they need to find a job like their bosses. We the people. Ridiculous that they get that much money. Yeah. Globalism. What we're told and what there is. Looks like globalism, we're told that it's uh, hands around the world. Everybody's happy and in love. Blah, 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 blah. What it is is a seat around the globe of about uh, 15 or 20 men yeah. and corporations and uh, dictating to the world what they got to do, you know? Yep. So, and, and on that note, we should say we, good night. I guess we should say, yeah. Unless you want to sign oh, up by, to by put nude at the Republican by, National By the way, Convention. This, is, this is something that nobody talks about or nobody has mentioned on the national news, but uh, over over 100 people or more have signed up to pose nude and have posed nude at the convention. Sign up to pose nude at the Republican National Convention. <laughs> and, uh, they, and Most people look very unattractive. Aren't they, though? They really, really are. But, but there's uh, hundreds of people, uh, hundreds and hundreds, uh, you know, people that they're, uh, that they're planning to, to pose nude for our pictures at the at the National Republican Convention. <laughs> so that's, if you're interested in doing that, now. sign yeah. up. Yeah. All right. So that's good night, right. folks. Yeah. And um, keep yeah. your eye on politics. Do what you can. Yeah. And we thank you all. 
And we're sorry that we couldn't bring you our friend uh, yeah, uh, Paul Krishnamurti, founder of politicalgambler.com. But he, you know, go to his, uh, go to his website, website, politicalgambler.com, check and it out. And see what he has to yeah. say. It's kind of an interesting and, uh, thing. We will try. When he gets back into the States, we'll try. And, they have uh, one then. They have one. Yeah. Thanks, so, folks. Sorry, and folks. good night. Have a great weekend when it comes up. Okay. Good night, everybody.